Hi, everybody. Good evening. This is the second episode of the School Psych Podcast, so I'm super excited to be here, and I'm glad that you guys are tuning in to watch us. Um, as far as the agenda tonight, we've got a couple things that we wanted to cover. Um, we're going to be talking about ADHD strategies in the classroom. We're going to be talking about templates, report writing, and presenting reports to parents and staff members. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about NAS because I'm sure a lot of you are, are gearing up for that starting very soon and are excited and um, just want to have a discussion about how that's going. Um, before we get rolling, um, one, I'm Rachel, and um, just briefly, I am a specialist level school psychologist. Right now I'm working in Texas, um, and I'm working with high school students. As far as... Oh, commenting, we definitely want everybody to be participating and interacting with us as we're doing this live broadcast. It's the, the main goal of the School Psych Podcast. So we've got a couple ways for you to do that. It's going to be um, through Twitter with um, the hashtag PsychedPodcast. It's going to be through the Facebook page um, and those feeds there. And also hopefully through um, the Google Plus page. Um, there should be a way to, to put some comments in there. So Rebecca, um, our friend over here, is going to be kind of watching um, the feeds and chiming in when you guys have comments and questions and suggestions. So that being said, I'm going to turn it over for introductions to Rebecca. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Hey, okay. I'm Rebecca, and I am a school I'm a certified school psychologist in Connecticut. Works a little differently here. We don't have that um, specialist uh, tag, but I work in a pre-K through 12 independent private school, and I just love my job. I'm an early career school psych. I'm on my second year, very proudly. So I'm um, halfway through. I'm excited, and I. Um, wanted to talk. Should I go right into ADHD interventions? Oh, we're going to Sorry, I'm really, actually, really nervous <laughs> this time because, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that you guys will watch and participate, but that also makes me nervous. But um, so, Anna, why don't you introduce yourself and then I'll go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anna. I'm also a school psychologist. I work in a special education BOCI setting in New York State. I work with middle and high school age students. So ADHD, let's get started. Rebecca, you want to start us off? Yes, I do. I'm just opening my um, Twitter search so I can make sure if you're on Twitter and you'd like to comment your favorite ADHD um, strategies or experiences, just use the hashtag psychedpodcast and we will we will find you. Um, okay, so what I wanted to talk about today is uh, how I would go about um, helping a teacher who says to me, I have this student who has um, ADHD and I want to support them and help them. So I'm going to um, do a little screen share here and show you what I was thinking of. These uh, one through eight, can you guys see them? Not coming up on my end. No, oops, sorry. Let me see. Screen share. Nope. Okay. Got it? You guys yep. see that? 
Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so these one through eight come from uh, Dr. Russ Barkley, who I, I actually tagged his website on School Psyched um, and the podcast page today. He has a lot of uh, ADHD resources and research, and these are the eight kind of guidelines uh, that he suggests for any classroom accommodations. Um, I think they're important to keep in mind. I like Dr. Barkley. I know he's a little bit controversial. I'd love to hear what you guys think of his work. But um, I love the way he breaks down exactly what's going on um, in a student with ADHD in the way that their brain functions. So I like these eight guidelines to keep in, in mind. What I normally do as far as a behavior plan is first, if the child is, um, is old enough, I like to get them involved. So I will ask them to come in and talk about how school is going, what, what is great, and what might be improved. I find most of the time kids know when they are having a hard time with something. Um, and they come up with great goals. And when it's driven by them, I feel like it's much easier to um, to, <laughs> to support them in achieving those goals. So, for example, I have a child come in, I'll ask them how things are going, and they'll say, you know, things are going okay, but I, I seem to get in trouble because the teacher's always um, telling me that I need to sit up straight at my desk and, and pay attention. So I have a conversation with the child about what would that specific behavior look like? What would you like to really see? And, they, and they'll often tell me something like, well, if I just sat up with my feet on the floor, I think then that would help me. So in that way, we come up with three very specific and observable, observable goals, the child and I. And then we, we meet with the teacher and we ask for the teacher's help. And when I frame it that way as a group, as a group um, effort, the kids really feel like everybody on this team is helping me reach my goals. And, and it's, a, it's a nice feeling. It's not punitive and it's not critical. It's not about what you're doing wrong and why, you know, it's not, it's not about being in trouble. It's about how can you improve. So I come up with three um, with the student, and then I usually work with the teacher on how they can support that goal. So for example, if it's sitting up straight with your feet on the floor, I'll ask the teacher to mark that down maybe three different periods of the day or three different subjects or um, three different times, either yes or no. You know, Johnny sat with his feet on the floor and eyes on the speaker, um, either yes or no during English, during math, during, you know, after lunch. And over time, I collect that data and I show the student as well. And, and usually I add with no more than maybe start with two reminders or three reminders. Um, and so as the, as the student gets better at, um, at sort of self-monitoring, then I make the reminders fewer. So it starts out with three reminders, then we're, and then we say, "Oh, John, you're doing so well. Let's let's have the teacher remind you now only twice, and or maybe twice verbally and once with a hand signal, like you know, eyes on me." Or and in that way, I found that kids are so impressed with the success that they can have, and often we achieve those goals, and then we move on to different goals. Okay, now Johnny, you're really doing so well with having your feet on your floor and eyes on the teacher. What could be next? You know, knowing the next three things that I have to do, making a visual schedule. So that um, I find to be a really nice intervention um, behavior plan for a child with ADHD. 
I think that's all I have. <laughs> Very cool. Um, all right, I can talk a little bit about some of the things that I do. I think that it's really important as a school psychologist to kind of have in your bag of tricks a lot of ways to, um, you know, strategies for children with ADHD just because, um, I mean, if any of you guys sit in on intervention teams, so often you're going to get teachers coming to those intervention teams saying, oh my gosh, this child cannot sit still or this child um, cannot you know, focus on anything, they're constantly off task. I mean, having worked at an elementary school for some time, that was just basically a constant referral concern. And so I've kind of developed a whole long list of strategies that, okay, did you try this? Have you tried this? Have you done that? And I just kind of go down this laundry list and just, um, I don't control my variables often very much. I'm throwing kind of accommodations and modifications and strategies at the teacher. I'm like, try this, try this, try this, um, just to try and get some sort of improvement going on, um, you know, before even I'm getting down into the nitty-gritty and working individually on, okay, what, what works for this particular student. First, I'm trying kind of those tier one uh, interventions. So some of the things that I've seen, um, and this works especially with, with elementary age student is the uh, tape on the floor so you can get kind of cool trendy looking uh, duct tape and tape around their desk and that can be their spot and so that would work for a child that is up out of the seat a lot and bothering other students if you explain to them that this is your area you know it, it, explain it as a good thing as um, it's not, you're not in timeout or anything like that, but this is your personal area, this is your personal space. If you need to leave there, you need to raise your hand and you can practice, you know, how do we raise our hand, let's model it, let's uh, practice that um, so we're sure that they understand. And just having that spatial boundary and that reminder works really well, I found, with elementary students. And same thing with putting like an X with the tape on the carpet where they're supposed to sit to make sure that they're not up and moving around. Um, that might be an intervention that you sometimes run by parents because you don't want a parent coming in necessarily to the classroom and seeing this box <laughs> where their child is supposed to be sitting and getting kind of a negative impression that it is a punishment that they have to stay in the box. Um, that, that wouldn't be um, the intention for sure. Um, I know that Anna's going to talk a little bit more thoroughly about fidget items, um, but as far as that ADHD child that needs to have some movement and have some stimulation and that sensory exposure. Um, an easy fix is put in a tape in some Velcro to the bottom of the desk so that they can rub the Velcro and play with the Velcro and fiddle with that, but still be engaged with the teacher. Um, likewise, like TheraBand, um, get to know your OTs. OTs have really great resources. TheraBand is something, it's kind of like a, a rubber band type material that you can wrap around the legs of the chair. And so the students can sit there and kick the TheraBand while they're engaged in the lesson. And it's kind of cool to go into an elementary classroom and see all these kids kicking their TheraBand and whatnot, but they're engaged and they're sitting in their seats. Um, but same thing with um, OTs can sometimes hook you up with wiggle seats and um, weighted objects and things that can help with that sensory input and can really be useful. So um, talk with your OTs about that. TheraBand and things like that are, are pretty cheap. You can buy a whole roll of it. Um, it's a great strategy. Um, you know, allowing activity breaks. We don't want our kids just sitting in their seats for long periods of time. Um, teachers that do that, we can run into problems with children with ADHD type behaviors. And I often say ADHD type behaviors because sometimes we have students that 
show a lot of those behaviors but aren't necessarily diagnosed. And then we have overlap of different conditions that can look like ADHD um, and comorbid things going on. So I generally talk about ADHD type behaviors um, when I'm dealing with a lot of this. Uh, I like response cost systems tied to rewards when we're dealing with impulsivity. So that would be oftentimes a visual um, where you know, within this period, within the morning, within the day, you get five um, cars. And every time that you're calling out, I'm taking away a car. And that's a visual reminder. And if you have, you know, one car left at the end of the day and in the period, end of the whatever, you get your reward. And it, it helps kids a lot to just have that visual. For older kids, you can, you know, three strikes and you're out type of thing. It can be a... Um, just a nonverbal cue from the teacher. You can do tally marks, things like that. And when we're talking preferential seating, just keep in mind that that doesn't necessarily always mean putting a kid at the front of the classroom. Sometimes children with ADHD type behaviors like to sit in the back so they can see everything out in front of them. And that's something to keep in mind too, that preferential seating doesn't always mean right next to the teacher. And then briefly, I wanted to go into a self-monitoring. Um, as far as, uh, I, I really like daily behavior report cards, check-in, check-out systems, things like that. And we've got a lot of that posted in our Google Drive, and I'll briefly show you how to access that again. But um, self-monitoring is good for our kids that are a little bit older. And even if you don't think that they're capable of doing it, um, oftentimes we don't give our kids enough credit. I've had uh, teachers that say, oh no, he could never self-monitor that, and, and the child can. Um, I went to an AFT presentation on on task in a box, and I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that, um, and I'm not super familiar with it myself, but it's a program that um, involves a self-monitoring um, method where the student wears uh, this device that's going to vibrate and tell them that, oh, now it's time to monitor. Are you on task or are you off task? and it lets the student be aware of what's going on. And this On Task in a Box um, program involved a couple different things as far as a, a video showing what On Task and what on Off Task looks like. Um, it involved graphing the results, the child graphing the results. It involved um, a couple different aspects of it. But I went to this NAS presentation last year on it, and the researchers that were looking at this program kind of broke it down to see what what was effective about it and one of the things that they found was that you can get an effect a positive effect um, with just a video so what I've done is I've paired up with a teacher that is pretty good at uh, technology and video recording and with that teacher make a video of you know with pair permission of here the student this is what they look like when they're on task. They're doing this and this and this. This is what they look like when they're off task. They're doing this, this, and this. So the student's watching that video um, a couple times a week as an intervention. And then during the intervention phases, um, they're wearing that vibrating device that, oh, now I need to mark if I'm on task or off task. And it vibrates um, intermittently and just allows that uh, awareness. I looked into that device at first, it's called the Motivator, M-O-T-I-V-A-I-D-E-R. And when I looked into that, it was like $40. I was like, no, <laughs> my school isn't gonna spring for that. But I did find um, online there's an app for it, 
where you can download it on your cell phone. And so what I had done at the time, this was at my last district, was I got the PTO to raise some, uh, raise some awareness of my little project and got people to donate some used cell phones that were no longer, um, were outdated. And so I installed the app on the cell phone, the kid put the cell phone in their pocket, and then that serves as that self-monitoring reminder. Um, so that's another strategy that can be used. I know it's kind of a little bit <laughs> throwing things together because you know we didn't have the resources to pay for the on-task-in-a-box. And, and if you guys are watching and have used that program, let me know if you've seen positive results with it because I'm kind of curious as to how that stacks up to my little um, <laughs> thrown-together intervention kind of modeled after that. But. Rachel, um, your like, list of, re of of go-to interventions, do you have that typed up anywhere? Is that on the ADHD? I do, I do. and I can sh I can screen that, share that for us right now if I can figure out how to do that. Let's see, the screen, okay. Hopefully you guys can see this. Um, so this is our Google Drive and we've got links posted to this um, on the Facebook page and the Google Plus page and um, you can just sign on and see kind of these are the areas that we have some resources in. And the point of the Google Drive would be to have you guys add things that are useful and um, to take things that you think are useful. So if we go into the ADHD folder, we've got strategies, information, assessment, observations. Um, so I think under strategies, this is kind of my little go-to list right here. Um, that I sometimes go to. So you guys can pull that up and look at that. Um, there's some PDFs and some resources here. And what's great about Google Drive is you can add things. So say, you know, you've got some websites that are useful. You can go and write in here and type in your websites and other people can see that. It'll save it. Um, so that's really neat. So please add to our resources um, and let us know what you think about that. All right, I'm going to go back here. Okay. I know that was kind of quick, but I'd like to hear from viewers more so than myself rambling. <laughs> that was helpful. Okay. So um, I work with kids with autism and developmental disabilities and some comorbidity with ADHD. So um, what works with my population is, is different. Um, we use a program called Boardmaker where I work. Um, and we use a lot of visuals because I have kids with language processing, language difficulties, nonverbal students that I work with who um, don't understand and don't respond as well to verbal reminders. So um, here's a few pictures from Boardmaker as an example. So we've got the, um, the quiet and the raise your hand reminder and also the no talking. So um, these are something, you, if you just Google Boardmaker um, and you Google like quiet sign, that kind of thing, you can find images like this. Even if you don't have the program, you can find all sorts of like visual cues, pictures, what works for the student. You know, it might be an actual picture of the student sitting in their desk as a reminder, you know, this is what I need to what I need you to do. Or it might be a picture symbol like this. It really depends what works for the student. Some of my kids, they don't comprehend this cognitively, so they need real pictures. Um, and so it really depends what works for you. But we, we tape these to students' desks, um, things like this, as a reminder of the rules. That way you can just point to the reminder. We also have like a larger larger version of this um, because sometimes kids need to learn, like it's not time to vocalize right now, it's instruction time. Um, and this is another one that I got on just from Googling of uh, the classroom rules with, paired with visuals. So I find these pictures really helpful as ways to 
help our kids be more focused. <laughs> and a lot of times um, a point to that picture is paired with this. And it's also um, sometimes they have more of a reinforcement system, like earning stars, earning stickers, that kind of thing, when they are quiet during instruction or during work time. Those are the kinds of things that we work on in my setting. Okay. Very cool. All right. I was hoping for some comments, but I don't think we've seen any yet. Right, Rebecca? No, we haven't. Well, we have a, a couple of... Um, Positive retweets on Twitter, but um, no, no additions really or um, comments. I think a lot of people are traveling, so I, I know that I've had some really kind comments on the Facebook pages about um, people who are going to be missing our live broadcast, but hope to tune in and comment later. So I would love to hear from you guys. What works? What did you learn in grad school? What did you try that didn't work? All of that is, could be really helpful to all of us. So I, I'm hoping that there will be comments eventually. <laughs> all right. Um, but we can move on, I guess, to our next topic. Um, we can come back if somebody does pipe in with some comments or questions. But our next topic was going to be about templates, report writing, and just basically presenting uh, reports to staff and parents. So we kind of wanted to have a discussion about that. I wanted to know um, how you guys go about to, um, like when you've done an evaluation, are you sending home? Are you, the evaluation with the student? Are you mailing it? Are you meeting with the parents before before meeting time? Like what you guys typically do for that? Because I kind of struggle with that as far as do I need to have a pre-conference with a parent or not? Well, um, sorry, I was I was checking the <laughs> the other um, pages, so I got distracted. But I I do I always like to be in communication with parents. So I never want to en en enter a meeting where there are going to be big surprises. So either knowing um, the communication between the teachers and the parent, I think it's important to have that team approach at every step. So I, I never feel like I'm going to walk into a meeting and there are going to be some big, big surprises. Um, I think hopefully that answers your question. But um, when I um, I'm reporting, I find it really helpful to focus on the practical, the recommendations and, and um, how the strengths can support the weaknesses. I know we're going to get into um, ex exactly how um, report styles for each of us. Do, do, do you guys feel the same way about um, presenting to parents and and you know having some parents are, I have been really lucky to find out to find my parents really involved so I'm able to communicate with them I, I don't often I've never had the situation where um, I can't get in touch with a parent or I can't communicate well with them and then there's a, an appointment for a meeting but I know that that happens you know um, often you know really busy working parents it's hard to to get them so I can imagine times when Sometimes things would be a surprise to them. Have you guys had those kinds of experiences? Yeah, I I've had more varied experiences. Um, you know, I, it depends what kind of evaluation you're doing. If it's an initial evaluation, if you if you're the first person to put eyes on the student, you know, you're going to want to have a, a good conversation with that parent. Um, I've had times where I've tried to meet with a parent on multiple occasions and and they haven't been able to make it. Um, so sometimes you don't get the face to face 
Um, sometimes it's just a phone conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like to have, like, uh, I have a normal curve um, that sometimes I use with the parents when presenting the results because sometimes parents might have an idea of their child and where they're going, and the child might have an intellectual disability and might have um, significant learning challenges and some things that are really getting in the way of, of their doing well and being successful, and maybe they're not even going to earn a high school diploma. And, you know, the parent kind of needs to visually see where their test results are at kind of thing. So it really depends. Sometimes there's hard conversations that have to occur and sometimes don't, don't occur until a CFE meeting. It depends. But I always like to check in and see if they receive the report. I don't do a, the mailing personally. That's like done by my, I don't know, in, in the administration building that I don't actually work in. So there's kind of a paperwork process, and it usually takes at least a week before when I send the report out and when the parent actually gets it in their hands. So I have to call and see if they got it, and you know, go over it briefly with them and see if they have questions and that kind of thing. Because I, you really don't want to be surprised at a CSE meeting. But some of the kids, like this is the eighth. Maybe not ace, but you know they're evaluated every three years in, in our state, and they know where their child is at. And then it's very, very brief, and you know, you go over it briefly in a CSE, but you don't really have to go into detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often, I I'm always nervous about sending a report home for a parent to read on their own, just because I want to be there to go through it with them. I don't want them to. Misinterpret anything that's in there. I know that our reports can sometimes, and I try not to use a lot of jargon, but there is a fair amount of, you know, talking about base rates and, and things like that in my reports that um, I want them to kind of have a little bit of an understanding. And so I, I do like to talk and meet with the parents um, ahead of time for sure, but oftentimes, yeah, it's hard to get a hold of them and um, get that get them that information and then when we're doing you know an eligibility meeting or we going through that uh, those results I do want to go over that report thoroughly too because I feel like the teachers need to be aware of what those results are um, everybody to make informed decision needs to have an understanding of what the evaluation says um, um, what do you guys think uh, of templates? I know we've gotten a lot of questions about templates um, at our last podcast, and I know we have some posts in the share drive. Um, tell me about your templates. <laughs> okay, so I, being the most recently out of school, love a template because I relied on them so heavily. So I'm going to share um, the template, a basic template that I use, oops, sorry, I don't know why, wait, let me stop that. You guys seeing that? Um, it, it looks like a visual illusion or something. <laughs> yeah, okay, let me try again. Maybe I have to open it first. Okay, so, yeah, here it is. Um, when, when I started off, and I think uh, my supervisor... We're not seeing it, I don't know if... I don't oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on opening. I shut it by accident. I'm going to open it up. Um, let me see. So when I started off, my supervisor actually gave me, I had two supervisors, and they gave me their basic templates, like the basic things that need to be included in a report, and based on the tests that I was doing. So, you know, the, the, it was um, the limited number of evaluations that, that I would do. Um, Oh boy, let me see. A little technical difficulty here. Um, wait, let me. Sorry. Um, so, 
I would follow the basic template. Let me share that with you. Um, start. Okay. Are you guys seeing this? Yep. This is just a basic um, template for a whisk that I would follow. And if there were other tests, you know, I would put them also in there and, and I would have other um, kind of standard tables that I would use to report scores. And then a very brief, a little bit less brief than that is here. I tried to remove, you know, all identifying information. So I, this is really brief. But um, I would talk about each index and, and each and each subtest is a little bit and um, and then describe scores and try to describe what that meant. But when you're starting out, it's it's really hard. And the discrepancy chart um, I find is the most challenging part of describing an evaluation. Like the, the really looking at the strengths and weaknesses and how how that speaks to an individual student. But I would follow the templates and follow the protocols to try to do that and to, to, to try to explain that to parents. And now, working in an independent school, I, I'm going to try to share something else with you guys. I don't know what you're seeing right now and I'm kind of concerned about it, but bear with me for a moment. Um, let me see. Um, anyway, I, now that I work in an independent school, I um, often see private evaluations. So we, we refer out a lot of our, our neuropsych assessments, and they're really comprehensive. There's lots of different kinds of assessments on there, and they um, – you're, you're seeing what I'm seeing, right? <laughs> oh, you see my face. Okay. So um, – they're they're really comprehensive and sometimes they're they are really difficult to read and I have found that parents almost they look at the scores and they look at the percentiles and that's about it because it's overwhelming and it's confusing um, and of course I cannot find the thing that I that I that I wrote up. <laughs> you have to keep in mind that when we're writing reports, we're writing it for several different audiences. I mean, we're writing for teachers. Right. We're relevant classroom recommendations and how to teach the student. We're writing for parents who want to have an understanding of their child. Uh, and we're writing for other psychologists who are going to pick up the report and flip to the scores and, and want that interpretation real quick and, you know, understand that stuff. So right. it, it is hard to kind of hit on all the, that different level of understanding of psychometrics and, and, and whatnot. So it's tricky. <laughs> I keep it brief. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't include base rates or any of that stuff in my test reports. See, I'm I'm a, I'm a long report writer. I've written port, reports that you know size ten font, thirty pages. Um, oh my god. And things, um, but that's not the law. I've seen, I've seen a fifty-page report and that wasn't mine, so that made me feel better that I'm not the only one that writes, you know, long reports. But I do like write long reports. Um, I try and be comprehensive, um, but it depends on the evaluation. My ED reports, my AU reports are going to be a lot lengthier than um, an OHI or an LD about. Hmm. I think I got it up now. Do you guys see this? What I'm looking at. Yes. Okay. So this was a private eval. I, I just outlined the structure of it that I thought was so helpful to both teachers 
and parents. We had, you know, a meeting with the private with the psychologist and the um, parents, and he, the student was actually there. He was a high school student, and this is how the report was structured. And it was, I have to say, it was like. 45 pages. It was really long, but it was written in very regular language, and these were the um, headings. So it was an overview, like you generally see in a, in a school evaluation with the referral concerns and the background information. But then, as, as they described strengths and challenges, they really were very specific about what are the things, how does this student work um, well, what what are his strengths and what are the implications of those strengths on learning on specific academic subjects, on specific academic tasks, and what gets in the way? What are things that are difficult for this student? Then there was an, a section linking those strengths and weaknesses to um, specific academics, and one by one they went through, okay, so what is this, for example, um, deficit in uh, processing speed, what does that mean in math class in these types of um, assignments and situations and tasks? What does that mean in English and social studies? And it was so, so helpful. It was such a nice report. The learning plan involved, um, the learning plan was their language for interventions. Um, so there was a whole um, section on what kinds of things can we do to support growth given this profile of strength and strengths and weaknesses. Then there was a section on accommodations. What kinds of things um, do we need to change about the environment, about the tasks, about the assignments to um, help support the student? And then other general recommendations and that was separated in into home, um, multiple settings which was mostly about what the student could do and learn um, what could he learn about his own profile, psychoeducational knowledge, self-knowledge, self-awareness. That was a big part of it because he was a high school student, so he was, he could be, um, you know, such an important, he was an important part of the team in understanding his learning profile. And then strategies for school, which really spoke to the teachers. What can you do um, for this child to support growth? I loved about it that it, it did, it, it, in the report, it never mentioned the term growth mindset or anything like that, but that's how it felt to me. It felt like, here's where we are, how do we get this student, how do we get progress? And it's just such a nice way to look at it. Um, then there was the, the summary and medical information about, you know, the, the team actually of psychologists that um, ran the evaluations included a psychiatrist, so there was a whole section on, on medicine and medical interventions, and, um, and, and that was it. It was a great, great report. So I just compared to this one, it was so much, it was so much better than a report I've ever written. And so I, I keep it and I keep this outline to, um, you know, to help me think about when I when I'm writing, which is actually very rare right now. But when I do an evaluation, how do I want to present the results? And I want to present them in, in really practical ways, um, not just you know this student is average or above average or below average. I, I want to say, what does this profile of strengths and weaknesses say about how he or she can grow? So that is my report template goal. <laughs> I'm wondering if other people have really good report templates. I mean, my, mine was good in the sense that it it did help me figure out 
how to write a report. It's a really, it's a big challenge when you're starting. But um, I wonder if there's there are better templates that people use out there. I want to say that, and we'll be quick because we're going to move on to our next topic shortly. But um, my template, yeah, it kind of grew and, and grew and you know changed as you learn more and as you add more and get more experience and get better. Um, and I've learned some kind of time-saving strategies with my template because I think that the template's important for describing, you know, what a WISC test. And what what O'Connor's measures and, and things like that that you shouldn't be retyping every time. Um, I like to take things from the manual. If the manual gives a description of this scale measures this, um, I would feel uncomfortable rewording things. But then at the same time, I'm a little bit nervous about taking things directly from the manual when it's not my wording. So I do have like a statement in my reports that you know test descriptions are taken from you know whatever manual. And I know that the WJ, the new one, I think has a if you want to quote from the manual, you know you can cite us type of thing. I haven't seen that in a whole lot of other. Um, tests. Um, as far as time-saving things, though, um, putting in, using the Control-F feature on Microsoft Word, which is find, you can um, set up your template so that anytime the child's name is going to be in there, you can put, you know, why, 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 every time the child's name would appear in the template. And then you can use the Control-F and the replace function through that to replace everything that says why, why, why with Johnny. Um, and same thing with his, her, um, uh, he, she type of thing. And that can save a lot because when you've got scores that, you know, Johnny's, you know, score of this da 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 falls in the average range, you can automatically swap all that information out in your template with one click. So, uh, you know, I've got this massive template that I work out of and I use the control F function and it'll say, you've replaced a hundred and some <laughs> instances of YYY with Johnny. And so that just helps um, to speed things up, I think. I know that a lot of people use kind of a text to um, a talk to text feature where they're you know, verbally talking to their computer if you're not a fast typer. Um, but I myself, I, I generally type, I'm a pretty fast typer, so I can get away with that. But, yeah. And then, okay, one other thing that I did want to say is uh, I do like projecting my evaluations if we're having a meeting. That way the whole team can see, you know, the tables and the graphs and the things like that. I think that's important so that everyone is on the same page and you're not just reading scores out. You're saying, you know, look at this Basque graph here and these scores are considered clinically significant and you can see that nice visual. So that's just my two cents. <laughs> Looks like we got a comment, Rebecca. Um, we did. We, we got a message and um, a fellow psych said that he um, tends to write his reports mostly for, um, for other psychs and teachers. So he's definitely working on writing more for the parents. And um, he, he felt like that was a good tip. So that was nice to hear. We're all, you know, kind of working on figuring out, um, you know, what works best for, for the students, really. I also got a comment. Where did it go? Um, somebody said, uh, I love finding an awesome psych report that challenges me to look at what is missing from my report. So um, I, I totally agree. That was like that, that report that I, I hold it as my, you know, as my gold standard now because it was, it was just so 
and I think also a lot of times I go into these meetings and have, you know, sort of my own, as a parent, my parent perspective, this was my child, what would I want to know? And so that report really made me think that if this were my child, this is what I'd want to know. How? What does it exactly mean that he's average in this and above average in this and, you know, lower average in this? What does it mean and what can we do? How will we inspire growth? So I totally agree with that comment as well. It's good to have those thoughts in the back of your mind. And please reference our Google Drive. We have a template folder, and there's some good stuff in there um, that some of us have shared. So feel free to check it out. And, you know, we're all in this together to help kids. I just want to comment now that um, Anna's cat has made an appearance. And I'm just... <laughs> One of them. <laughs> I just think this is funny. We had an earlier conversation that Anna's cats tend to, you know, say hello because they love her so much that... You know, we're going to call her our, our crazy cat lady or something, <laughs> which which my mind makes all these little connections. Um, Google the connection between schizophrenia and cats. If <laughs> interested, it's very, very interesting read. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> schizophrenia and I'm aware. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> we're going to move on to our, our little last topic, um, NASC. Yeah. NASC this week in Florida. That's um, right. And I, t I have total and complete NASC envy. I would really love to be there. Um, but because, I, because I'm not, I did search out this wonderful um, resource on NASC that I'm going to screen share again. I hope, I hope it doesn't. Do what it did last time. Practice makes perfect. Can you guys see this? Are you guys seeing this now? Did I? I didn't lose you, did I? Yeah, yeah, we see. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, so if you log on to NASP, and you, I guess you do have to be a NASP member to log on because they ask you for your member number. But if you are a member of NASP, you can go on to the annual convention tab and look at um, session handouts, and there are already some really wonderful. Um, slide presentations, poster presentations, lots and lots of, as you can see, um, handouts already. So I'm looking forward and hopeful that there will be, there's actually more than when I looked <laughs> earlier today. So um, it's, a, it, it's a great resource. I hope that they're going to keep these slides up. Um, obviously, without hearing the conversation, there's a little bit left to be desired, but there was... Um, let me show you this poster session I thought was really ex um, interesting. This is um, comorbid ADHD and anxiety, a study that was run, the methods, results, participants, everything like that. It's a really cool poster session that is helpful about ADHD and anxiety. And there was this um, I thought was really great too. This is a test anxiety um, intervention. Uh, slides. So there's really some really good stuff out there. I encourage you guys to check it out. It's in the um, 2015 convention section. Check it out and hopefully if um, it's okay with NASP <laughs> we can share some of those some of those slides um, on the Google Drive. But I guess we'll have to check that out, find out. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's um, attending NASP and taking notes 
and um, or have presentations or they're giving a presentation and want to post it in the Google Drive, we do have a NASP 15 folder. So post useful things, post um, what you guys are seeing. Um, we're sorry we can't be there. I attended last year. It was a lot of fun. Um, it is pricey, so it's not something that I go to every year. If in a perfect world our school districts would all pay for us to, you know, fly there and and eat and you know <laughs> sleep and have hotel accommodations and things like that. But um, I don't think that most of us have that luxury. So um, NASP is a once every couple years type of thing for me. <laughs> but and I will say too that one of my favorite things about NASP, and this might be because I'm a little bit weird, <laughs> but I love that um, that room where all the free stuff is, all the, the booths. What is it? Um, I'm trying to think what it's called. The exhibit hall, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and they, they, I love going around with my little bag and talking to people and getting my free pens and my free stopwatches and anything that I can get. And I like leave there with this whole bag of, of goodies and it just it makes me so happy. I don't know why. <laughs> I love that too. Sounds like trick or treat. <laughs> there were three cookies last year. Rachel and I went last year and oh, I ate a lot of those cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if you are at NASP and you want to share, you know, feel free to share on our, our pages. The Facebook page is, is active and we welcome comments and, you know, we're all um, working together to get these resources. So if you ever see anything and you want to add it to our drive, go for it. Yeah. And I, I, and I want to just give um, one more plug. Oh, I got, I got a couple of comments here. Um, I love the comments. Oh, and I wanted to ask everyone too. Do we think that we should read out people's names when we comment, or maybe comment if you <laughs> if you think that it's good to you know talk about? Oh, Sally just said on the Facebook, you know, first name type of thing. We don't want to embarrass anybody, but we want to give you your your reinforcement for commenting by mentioning you. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, I have one. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Um, if, uh, if this person wants to be mentioned, so I will just say that somebody asked if um, the report templates would be available in the Google Drive. They like them, and there are some there already, but I will surely add my um, little outline. If that's helpful to anyone, I can add that. And yeah, we, we'd, we'd love to add to that section of the Google Drive, so um, I'll add what I have, and whatever anyone else has would be so helpful as well. Let's see if there are any other comments. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to say that if you don't want your name mentioned, <laughs> yeah, let us know. Otherwise, we're just assuming that we get their name. Well, Facebook is a public page, so their name's on there if they're right. commenting on our this page. You know, but one of the, 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 a couple of messages were in the private messages, not on the page, so that, that's why I'm thinking that maybe it's just, uh, I won't mention a name on that one, but um, yeah, I, I really hope that this can be, you know, our big grand faculty meeting, that we can all be friends and collaborate, and so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get more and more comments over time. I think the conversation can continue. We're all, you know, we're obviously all looking at evaluation, evaluations and reports and um, interventions, so add to the comments on the Facebook pages, on Twitter, or on um, in the comments on YouTube, too. This video will be posted, and we can continue talking. Okay, so um, it's about that time for us to wrap up our, our meeting. 
um, so just random final wrap up from last last time we did our podcast episode one. Um, we have since posted a Whisk Five little write up template on the template folder. So check that out. And also Rachel looked into it and the Whisk Five interactive on the iPad. Rachel, you found out um, you still have to have the paper pamphlets for the processing speed subtest. So that's something interesting that we just wanted to note since we're all very intrigued by the interactive versus um, pencil paper. Yeah, I had asked the question of is there two separate norms for if the child's taking the test um, on the iPad versus paper pencil, and so I actually yeah, called up Pearson because I haven't, I don't have a whisk yet. My district doesn't have it, um, and asked that question, and they said that no, you you basically can't take those subtests on the iPad at this point. It has to be paper pencil. I'm guessing for that very reason that the norms would be different. Um, they did say that at this time they don't have uh, that option, so maybe that's something that will be brought later. But right now it's just paper pencil for those processing speed subtests. Great. Thank you for following up on that. We appreciate it. So mm -hmm. our next podcast will be on Sunday, March 1st. We're going to be hopefully doing our podcast on the first and third Sunday. Um, of the month, so we're trying to do it twice monthly, and we're hoping to connect with you, so um, please comment and participate if you're able. So it'll be at 8 p.m. Um, Eastern Time on Sunday, March 1st, so we hope to see you there, and if there's something that you really want to discuss, um, let us know and we'll, and we'll fit it in in the future. Oh, and I just wanted to mention too, one thing we talked about discussing next time were apps um, for behavioral observations, and we're um, hoping to have um, an app creator um, on as a guest, so I uh, will keep you posted on that, but I think that's going to work out well. It's a, it's a great, I don't want to mention it now in case they don't want to talk about it, but um, so far I think they'll be joining us next time, and we'll talk about a really great app that um, two school sites created, so that'll be one of the topics for next time, but we're, we'll look forward to hearing your ideas, what do you guys want to talk about, and what do you want to share? I think that'll be really good, too, for um, other sites out there that maybe have an idea for an app and don't really know where to go to it. Maybe, you know, um, our next podcast might give them some ideas of the next step to, to make to making that I go from an idea to an actual functioning app. So I, th I think that's really cool. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.